Welcome to Radio On, and next up we have the Berlin Historical Series, introduced by Jason Oney and special guest Nicholas Schreck. Hey everybody, this is Jason Honey, aka The Shitty Listener, I Am Boy True. I'd like to welcome you all to Berlin Historical Series, Radio On. I am here with none other than my special guest, Nicholas Schreck. My who, pleasure to be here, thank you for inviting me. Glad to have you. I don't think Nicholas Schreck should really require any kind of grand introduction. I think a lot of our listeners are already there well familiar with you. There should be a trumpet fanfare. That's usually in my contract. I yeah. think there is sort of a trumpet fanfare at the very beginning of this, but we are here today in geographically what is, I guess, Mitte, but back in the day was the Dorotheenstadt. We are at the Forum Federanicum. It started to be built back in 1741 after Frederick the Great became King of Prussia in 1740. His attitude back then was that all great states require not only an opera house to express both the cultural ideas and notions of that monarchy, um, but also as well a library to house all of their lofty new ideas. And for Prussia back in the day, tolerance, what would have been some of the other virtues of Prussian society back in the well, day? Well, patronage of the art. Patronage of the arts, of course, yeah. Uh, Frederick the Great believed in a enlightened absolutism. He invited some of the greatest philosophers and musicians of his time to Sanssouci. He tried to create something like a platonic symposium. And when you imagine the cliché about Prussia being this barbaric militaristic state and the way that Allied and Soviet propaganda has treated Prussia as some sort of, you know, the absolute worst example of absolutism and militarism. In fact, Frederick the Great, his idea of a philosophically guided, almost platonic um, philosopher king, which goes back to ancient Greek thinking, made Prussia one of the most enlightened of the modern states in Europe at the time far and contrary to its reputation as this brutal militaristic nation that had to be ultimately dissolved. As we know, the state of Prussia was dissolved in 1945. Um, he was a model of reason, of logic, of human rights, um, of giving fair play to prisoners of war, and what we will discuss today, because we are near the Staatsoper Berlin, and as you said, we're in the midst of this cultural complex that Frederick built as King of Prussia as a gift to his people to cultivate them, to introduce them to the arts, to music and philosophy. Um, and also to serve as a focal point of 18th century Prussian prestige, Right, certainly. Because Prussia was a new country in the scheme of the hierarchy of the European nations at the time, he wanted to prove that Germanic culture could stand its own against French and English and Italian. And, and he was very much of a Francophile. He spoke fluent French rather than German. Preferred to, actually. Yeah. Right. And even while waging these two wars against Austria, 
that the entire time while financing this army in the field, he was making damn sure that enough money was going into developing all of this still at the same time to impress those other rulers in Europe. Right, uh, right. But, yeah. he, but it wasn't only like he was not only a showboat, he was trying to show to prove that Prussia had a cultural heritage. He was himself an artist. And I think one thing we want to discuss is the music that our listeners heard at the beginning of the show, that march is one of the marches that is attributed to Frederick the Great. And in German history, it has always been associated with him, though we're not quite sure of its authorship. It is traditionally The Hohenwilberg March. Yes. Right. And that is, that's the music that we began the show with. But maybe right now, we should talk a little bit about Frederick the Composer. A lot of people don't realize Frederick the Great wrote a libretto for an opera by Grauner called Montezuma. And the interesting thing about that, here was a, the king of Prussia writing about the Catholic oppression and the, and the barbarism of the colonial invasion of Mexico. And is, so it's a very unique opera where you have an actual king writing about Montezuma, the emperor of Mexico, in a sympathetic way, and in the 18th century critiquing the Christian genocide and destruction of the indigenous people in, in the Aztec Empire. So he had this humanist point of view that most people don't associate with monarchy. But So may, maybe we should begin by listening to a little bit of this is an opera Montezuma by Grauner, who was a patron, rather Frederick was a patron of this composer Grauner. And he wrote the, I mean, imagine a king taking time to write the libretto for an opera, and when you think of the clowns and Bulgarian idiots running the world right now, uh, how low we have sunk from where Frederick was. So, Really quick, if you don't mind, if I just may add, I think it's kind of interesting that in regards to Hunan Cortez, because we're talking about Montezuma, another piece of music that has also been attributed to Frederick the Great, but cannot totally be founded, is that apparently the Spanish national anthem that we know today, an anthem without words, the music is also attributed to Frederick the Great. Right, which is interesting because of course Cortes represented the Spanish exactly. empire in conquering the Aztec empire, but yeah, so this it's a fairly unique piece of music, a king writing about a king. So this is Montezuma with a libretto by none other than Frederick the Great. Okay, hey everybody, once again, this is Jason Honey here with Nicholas Schreck. We are standing at the Forum Friedericum that is right here in Mitte, Berlin, right off of the Unter den Linden, directly across from the Humboldt Universität. One of the things that I find really compelling about where we're standing is that per Frederick's notions of the day, the Platz here was supposed to be completely and also totally accessible to all members of Prussian society back then. Maybe that was a somewhat populous uh, measure that was taken at the time for whatever reason, but at certain times of the year, uh, both the Opera House here as well as the library was open up to all kinds of people, all different strata of society, um, huge balls, 
costume balls, etc. Different operas that people could sit through. The opera house is directly here in front of us. Interesting building. Europe's first largest freestanding opera house. The founding stones were first laid in 1741. The building itself was destroyed several times uh, throughout its existence. I think the first time was a big major fire in the early part of the 19th century. Quickly rebuilt again thereafter. And then I guess during an RAF raid in 1941. Yeah, 1941 it was destroyed again and built up a little bit even during the war and then... It got hit again. Didn't yeah, it? and then the DDR uh, made it the national opera of the communist state after the conquest of Germany and then in 1991 it returned to the Bundesrepublik and is now the Staatsoper Berlin but it was the brainchild of Frederick the Great and it was originally called the Royal Opera and it was known to be under his patronage and she said it was one of the first operas that allowed commoners even though they were probably wealthier than you know, peasants, um, he, Frederick the Great felt it was important in Prussian society to introduce culture to the, to the citizens of his empire. So that was very pioneering at the time, that he, he wanted to introduce the arts to the people of Prussia. Again, in contradiction to this idea which was prevalent in Europe even at the time, that Prussia was a primitive barracks state with no culture, just a place for soldiers and, and ruffians. A king that wore army uniforms and didn't wear powdery wigs and stockings and garters and things like that. Right. If I'm not mistaken, this is also the first place in Germany that box music was presented to the public. Yes. Uh, Mozart's music was presented to the public, as well as a host another. You mentioned Grauner. Right. Well, the interesting thing about Bach and Frederick the Great. Actually, a lot of people don't realize that Bach, as a very elderly man, was invited to Sanssouci, which was Frederick the Great's palace in Potsdam, and that Frederick the Great sat down with the elderly Bach at his piano at the royal residence and gave him a challenge. Like here, this is the kind of how sophisticated a musician that Frederick the Great was. He would say to Johann Sebastian Bach, that, you know, uh, here's a challenge, do a fugue in D. And Bach improvised for Frederick the Great with, you know, at, at his court. So, you Did know, he strictly play querflöte flota, or did he play other instruments as well? I think he had a capacity for other instruments, but he mostly wrote for querflöte. I fell asleep last night listening to an hour and a half long piece, a flute concerto in A minor. Mm -hmm. Absolutely fantastic. Right. Um, the only thing that was missing was the rain coming down outside my window, but it was, it was absolutely stunning. Right. Well, actually, since you mentioned, uh, yeah, Frederick was a, not only an accomplished composer, but a very, he was recognized by other classical musicians at the time as an excellent food player. So perhaps that should give us the opportunity to play one of his better known flute pieces, which we will put on the invisible turntable now. Sure. Though I don't believe that he was a trained architect by any means, he certainly had a huge appetite for it and designed, whenever he could, buildings. 
which he would then hand to his architects, his Hof architects, uh, letting them know that this was sort of the direction he wanted to go in. Um, he oftentimes copied ideas from buildings that he saw in Kupferstische, copper engravings and things like that. Um, he was naturally super inspired by all kinds of Italian architecture. Um, prior to building the, uh, the Forum Friedericum, uh, when this was the Dorotheenstadt, or before the Dorotheenstadt had actually been landscaped and developed, this was a huge system of fortifications, big, huge, massive concrete and stone embrasures. Um, Berlin, as we may or may not know, is built on a swamp. Um, it was because of the kind of precarious nature of these embattlements that when they began to develop the area around here, they began asking huge questions about what would be the best way of going about and building uh, big huge structures around here that could handle the swampy earth. Apparently there was a big gripe going on within the Hohenzollern family. Apparently the brandenburg Familie, which is a Seiten uh, linea of the Hohenzollerns, had a palace right over here. Uh, Frederick was very very keen on buying from that from them as quickly as he possibly could so that he could develop the area as he wanted to. However, they were not interested in selling the property at all, so he was forced to drastically change his plans. I think when this became, became public note, um, it was basically stated that due to the nature of the boggy earth around here, they would not be able to develop in the way that they wanted to. Okay, But then as one of those wars began, within a year of that war beginning, he was able to wrestle the house away from the family. Uh, and then there was no talk then of the earth being too boggy. Right. And that's when he basically, I guess, transformed that into the Heinrich Palais. Right. Yeah. So this complex where we are standing, one thing to keep in mind is that uh, Frederick the Great ruled in the 18th century, and here we are in the 20th year of the 21st century, and his legacy is very much with Berlin. In fact, Berlin would not be Berlin without Frederick the Great. So many of its greatest cultural treasures, its music, the Staatsoper, which is considered one of the greatest operas in the world. Uh, th this is the legacy of Frederick the Great, is a living, vital, cultural tradition that continues in Berlin and in Germany to this day. And so people who, you know, in, in the age of after secular humanism and democracy, and, and the destruction of the monarchies after World War I, the propaganda idea has been that monarchy creates nothing but, you know, meaningless authoritarian rule and slavery and, you know, is a feudal relic that should be removed. But I think it's important to look at Frederick's legacy of what he called enlightened absolutism and see to this day that the, the work that he did, not his military campaigns, of course he was a brilliant strategist and military leader, but that his cultural legacy to Germany and to the world continues to this day to be a living thing, not just a uh, antique historical relic. I thought it was quite interesting to find out that the reason why Napoleon wore his headgear. Right, his, the famous the way Napoleonic he did. hat right. that, that, all, that all lunatics how, wear. Because that's <laughs> how Fritz wore his hat. Right, yes. Yeah. We're emphasizing Frederick's uh, cultural and musical talents, but his, his, his prowess, yeah, his prowess as a military leader was unparalleled at the time. And considering that he was this Renaissance man who could be balancing this cultural Renaissance of Germany at the same time 
as fighting Maria Theresa in Austria. Um, Napoleon admired Frederick. I mean, I think he was his greatest military hero. He went and visited his tomb. And an interesting parallel in history in this chain of military leaders is just as Napoleon, when he entered Germany, he went and paid homage to Frederick the Great as his predecessor. And then when Hitler, who was a great admirer of Frederick as well, went to Paris, he paid homage to Napoleon. So there's a historical lineage there. Napoleon told his marshals and generals, Bernadotte, all of those guys, hats off, gentlemen. If it wasn't for him, or if he were alive today, we would not be here. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, yeah, so, the, so Napoleon's admiration, I mean, Napoleon very much tried to emulate Frederick the Great in his own introduction of culture into French tradition and that kind of thing. Things that, things that now seem typically French, actually Napoleon was inspired by Prussia. People don't realize that. Yeah. And of course there's a great symmetry between France and Prussia in that the German Empire only exists because of Germany's defeat of France in 1870 and, and the fact that Germany was founded in Versailles. So this symmetry between German and French culture and the fact that Germany as an independent state only existed because of its defeat of France. The Franco-Prussian Wars, 1870-1871. Yes. I read something absolutely horrible today that really kind of shocked me, that apparently Frederick as a boy in front of everybody would be horribly caned by his father. Right. Yeah? Well, that's an aspect of Frederick the Great, too, that, I mean, I think people may be generally aware of it, but as a boy, he had a homosexual affair with another, I think, a 17-year-old in the royal court, and it became a scandal. Everyone knew about it. And his father, who was a brutal, was really the typical Prussian militarist of, of propaganda thought, um, punished him for this and, and treated him very severely. And he was cruelly punished. And also, it was actually Frederick the Great's interest in music and art and architecture, his father considered to be effeminate and completely meaningless for the, for the future ruler of Prussia. So he was persecuted for all that. And, um, and actually another lover of Frederick the Great was executed as an example. Uh, they were, the plan was to run away to Britain, both of them together, I right. guess elope. Right. And they were caught, tried for treason, and von Kattberg Van or whatever this Kat Kata was. Kata? Yeah. Uh, was executed. Right. So. Guillotine. Yeah. So Frederick mm. the Great was brought up in a very brutal environment by his cruel and autocratic father, who was totally considered him, you know, basically an effeminate, you know, weakling who could never be the king of Prussia. Right. So that. And now. It, you know, people have an idea that homosexuality was completely forbidden and unheard of at that time, but actually Prussia was always a little more liberal than other European states about that. Right. Um, Prince Heinrich as well, um, Frederick's younger brother, apparently was quite open about his homosexuality. Right. Uh, and at some point in time, that became a little alarming um, for the family and they quickly married him off. But I think after the wedding, 
ceremony, he didn't see her once. Right, right. And Fred, Frederick the Great, too. I, I mean, there's so many aspects He saw his of, queen twice. Yeah, he, he barely had any relation with his queen. It was just an arranged marriage. And uh, he ac actually, another aspect of his cultural production that people don't know of, he wrote erotic poems to his lovers that, are, that were known at the time. I mean, he wrote them, they seemed to be about a man and a woman, but he was writing about eroticism. So imagining the king of Prussia writing erotic poetry. Um, it might be piffle, but apparently he did not appreciate women hanging around Sanssouci very much. Uh, not the least of which his queen. And apparently Voltaire, on one of his visits, actually kind of stood up for the queen and her court. Yeah. Uh, this is, this which is not, sort of disingratiated himself with Frederick. And there are numerous reasons exist for the deterioration of the friendship, but apparently this was one of them. Right. One of, I mean, something that was known throughout all of Europe in this looking up to Frederick as a kind of philosopher king is that he had a deep friendship with the philosopher Voltaire, right. who was an incredibly important intellectual titan of that time. And at that time, kings did, were not thought to be intellectuals. Right. But what happened is Voltaire, actually, that was of the darker side of Frederick. He was definitely a misogynist. If you look at what he wrote, he was not only homosexual, but he seemed to actively dislike women. women. Yeah. And uh, Voltaire... Except his mom. Yeah. Voltaire wrote a kind of tell-all, an expose about that, and that, that was privately seen in the courts of Europe, and Frederick the Great was understandably outraged at what he saw as a betrayal by Voltaire, and by though eventually they repaired their friendship and continued to know each other. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that, that was a scandal that was like an open secret. But as far as the darker side of Frederick, definitely he was, he was quite misogynistic. Well, okay, everybody, so that was our installment of Berlin Historical Series here on Radio On. Uh, once again, I'm Jason Honey, a.k.a. Boy True. I am the shitty listener. And this has been a wonderful half hour with Nicholas Schreck. Thank you for showing up, it coming was, down. It was my pleasure to honor De Alte Fritze. And as an ardent monarchist, I can only encourage our listeners to, to look at actual history and not to just believe the modern democratic cliches that monarchy was a completely brutal totalitarian system. Yeah. There are many things to admire about it. Um, so on that note, we salute der Alte Fritze and um, goodbye. And I would like to encourage our listeners to watch Radio On for further future site-specific sound and music-oriented pieces on places here in Berlin on the Berlin Historical Series here at Radio On. Which we are planning at this very moment. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to the Berlin Historical Series on Radio On Berlin. For more information, visit www.radioonberlin.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>